Hello everyone and welcome to episode 115 of the Talking Football Podcast. My name's Derek Clark and after a short break we're back with another belter of an interview. This week I had the pleasure of chatting to one of Belfast's finest exports, Danny Griffin. Danny's in great form as he relives his time in the game from turning down his boyhood heroes Liverpool to sign for St Johnson where he'd make his name in the game. We hear why he turned down Premier League football, why he moved to Dundee United, his stint at Stockport County as well as his time at Aberdeen Dundee Ross County and his two promotion winning seasons with Livingston and Arbroath. And of course we talk Northern Ireland and coming up against some of the best players on the planet and he also tells us about the great work he's doing now with the Saints Community Trust. So sit back and enjoy the latest episodes of the Talking Football Podcast. Be lovely jubbly. Ah, excellent stuff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Talking Football Podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined this week by former St. Johnston, Dundee United, Northern Ireland favourite, amongst others, Danny Griffin. Danny, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad for a, for a Tuesday evening, Danny. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to always talk football. Y- your career, Danny, fantastic career in the game. Um, Growing up in, in Belfast, as you did, were you always kicking the ball around? Oh, if my mum sent me to the shop, I was away with the football. <laughs> I was coming back with the bags of shopping with the football at my feet. Yeah, it was constantly a football. That's the only thing I wanted to do when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. Did you have any role models? Did you did you have any sort of idols you I, wanted to be like? I'm a big Liverpool fan. Um, have been since I was a kid. It's you look back at that team that they had, Jan Moby in the middle of the park, Alan Hansen at the back. And then the John Barnes and that coming in, and um, so it's uh, that era was a big Liverpool. Like as a Liverpool fan, was great knowing the football that they played was terrific to watch, and they're still doing it now to this day. Absolutely. Did, did you get over to Anfield at any point as a as a youngster? I was. They had the opportunity to sign me, but I decided oh. to go with Saints. Wow. Wow. We'll touch on that. We'll, we'll touch on that now. Actually, you went over to St Johnson quite young, weren't you? Were you fifteen or something like that? <clears throat> yeah, I left school six months early. Um, the situation with Belfast wasn't the best sorry I know the camera's moving about here because I'm just trying to take my trainers <laughs> not off um, that left school six months early to come across to St Johnson with no qualifications knowing that Belfast at the time was in a bad place yeah. um, the troubles were still at the height of it knowing that they were just back and forward with each other both religions if you would say yeah um, but yeah, I came here at 15 um, with a view of maybe going to school here to finish off school, but I never got that opportunity because I was straight into training every day, yeah. working hard for the live out my dream, which thankfully it paid off and I did. Yeah. Was that difficult growing up in Belfast at that point, Daniel? Like you say, was, was it, I guess it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, um, but I'd, as I said, football was just an out for me. Yeah. Um, Started off with a local boys club called Wolf Hill um, and I played for them for about three years and out of the blue one of the boys was mucking about and the coach at the time um, just that's it team's finished oh. um, and at that time I was training with the Man United School of Excellence and one of the guys I got really friendly with he was playing, uh, playing for a team on the Shankle Road called St Andrews yeah. and my dad got friendly with his dad and 
my dad had just mentioned that I was in the football team. And a couple of days later, I received a phone call saying, right, St Andrews would like you to come and train. And I was like, right, where's training? And they went, oh, it's on the Shankill Road. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I'm a Catholic and Shankill Road doesn't really go. Um, but then I, I decided to go and I never battered an eyelid after that. Everybody was great. And the team I played for went on to be the Northern Ireland champions, four years in the bounce. Um, St Andrews have got a reputation within Northern Ireland and Belfast of producing players, i.e. Keith Gillespie. Um, Paul McKnight that played for St Mirren many years ago. Um, so there's a there's quite a few. Steve Davis actually was one of the ones as well. He's still playing at Rangers, playing at a really like high level, all time record cap holder. So yeah, they had a reputation of bringing through players. What was it? What was the Man United experience like? It was all right. It was going on a Wednesday night. It was like boys' club type stuff that you would maybe see about the place that you would go and they would it would be elite players that they would just be training for say two hours. Um, you were never playing games, but then within that training of doing it, the, the guy that was taking it all the time, there was a guy just above him that would sit and watch it, and then they would they would hand pick who would have that opportunity to go go to Old, Old Trafford. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it wasn't bad, but it gave you that insight of yeah, I want to grab this with two hands. I want to be one of them kids that goes to Old Trafford to show Alex Ferguson, yeah. the manager of Man United at the time, I can be a good player. Yeah. So but yeah, it was good. Yeah, you said um, you went to you went to Saints early, and Liverpool were in, in for you as well. Was it was uh, how did how did that decision making process happen, Danny? I looked at it as where I was going to get an opportunity, yeah, and play most. Um, you think about kids going to the big bright lights of football clubs, i.e., Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, um, unless they are something special that they they mightn't get a chance. And I looked at it upon that if I went to someone like St. Johnson, if I was good enough and big enough and get that opportunity, I could still grab that opportunity in a couple of years' time, knowing that if I was playing for St. Johnson and playing my trade, yeah. that people would come and sniff around. So, yeah, I, I made that decision to come to St. Johnson, which it worked for me. And see, leaving school early as well. What was it? Your, your parents in agreement with that? Were they were they happy for you following your, your dream sort of thing? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, they were because at the age of eleven, I was always away. Yeah. Um, I was always away visiting different clubs for like a week at a time or ten days at a time. Wow. So yeah, it was. The education board used to send the person round, knowing that you were missing school quite a bit. To ask if there was always the issue of why he wasn't at school, but my mum would always open the front door and come in and show her the trophy cabinet and stuff and go, he's away playing football again. And so, yeah, it's for me, leaving school, yeah, it, it was great knowing that I, I wasn't really interested in school. As I say, I had a dream to become a footballer and that's what I wanted to do. But looking back now and I telling my own kids now that if anything like that has ever happened to them, they're staying at school. Yeah, <laughs> it's this. It's an admirable move to, to knock back like your boyhood heroes to go somewhere where you know you're going to get more of a chance. But what, what was it like when you went over? Because you're you're still a kid, basically. Were you staying in digs and that over there? Yeah, they put you in digs. It was the same as when I was at St Johnson. As soon as I moved in, yeah. Um, it's when you're going away for a week at the time. Yard they put you in a, a house that the people look after you. They feed you twenty four seven. 
Yeah. You're staying close to the training ground, knowing that it's within walking distance, you aren't jumping in taxis here, there and everywhere. Um, at night time, they would maybe come and pick you up on a minibus and you'd go for either the cinema or a couple of games of pool or snooker. Yeah. Knowing that you're, you aren't bored just staying in every night. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so yeah, things like that, that it was always that every club you were at, they were always the same. They always tried to treat you differently knowing that someone else was sniffing around. Yeah. And, I mean, your time at St. Johnson, Paul Sturrock was a the manager there. Um, what was he like, Danny, to, to, to work with um, as, a, as a manager? He was he was great, knowing it just wasn't Paul Sturrock. It was his backroom staff as well. He had an assistant manager called John Blackley. Um, the two of them bounced off each other. The way they did training, they had it organised, where Paul Sturrock taking the attacking-minded midfielders and strikers and John Blackley taking the defensive midfielders and the defenders. Um, and we worked on the area of the game that we were going to be playing. And then at the end of the turn, you would come in and play five a side. So it was drilled into you quite early that this is the way training was going to be. And it got you in a frame mind that, yeah, my job was to defend and trying to keep the ball out of the back of the net with a goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, so we did things like that. And then when it came to games, it was always like, this is what we want you to do. This is how we want you to do it. So yeah, it hasn't really, yeah, football's changed, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Because at that time when Paul Sturrock was in, he had Jim McLean as a, a manager when he played. Yeah. I just watched the news your day with Jim McLean and the statue getting yeah. revealed at Tanadice, which I think is a great honour for him. That uh-huh. um, old school. Um, but Jim McLean got the best out of his players, and as it did Paul Sturrock, but it was also down to his backroom staff of working hard. Yeah. Can you remember your debut? <laughs> I made my debut against. I'm thinking it was Airdrie. Yeah. And it was all. I think it was a one one all game. Uh-huh. Um. And then the following game, well, Stuart McCluskey made his debut the week before me, who was my centre half partner in the youth team. Uh-huh. And I made mine the following week. The week after that, the two of us played together, and then we never kicked a ball after that, and we thought it was a wee bit strange. Yeah. I went away with the under-17 international side to Geraint, Sweden, to play the European Championships. And when I was away, when I was coming back, it was going to be the summer holidays. I think there was only one game left to play. Yeah. And I'd received a fax to the hotel saying, we need Danny Griffin back, can you report? Because I was going to go back to Belfast because it was the holidays. Yeah. And I ended up reporting back and playing the last game of the season. And then when I came back after the summer holidays, I was straight into the first team training after pre-season. I played all the games, played all the pre-season games. And as soon as the season kicked off, I was in the starting 11. Yeah. So it was great that a manager has great trust in his, in his young players. Yeah, absolutely. Did see that uh, more experienced boys, guys like Jim Weir and all that, did they, did they help? Yes. They did. It was always, all the experienced players tried to help the young ones. Yeah, the when you were announced that you were making your debut, they were all trying, oh, he's nervous, he's going to need the toilet, he's going to be doing this, <laughs> no one. Um, but when you were on that pitch, it was, you were one, yeah, it was, yeah, it was your team. That was your teammates. If anybody kicked you, they were kicking you back and knowing that you've got to stick up for yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was great knowing that you had the likes of Jim, you had Roddy Grant, um, Alan Preston, Gary Bowen, and then he brought in Alan Kernigan from Man City on loan and then they signed him permanently. So, Luggy had built a really good side with experience, so like Paul Kane McDazovich as well in the middle of the park. Um, so yeah, it was great knowing that you're a young boy growing up in that and they were there to help you. Yeah, I wanted to speak about the, um, uh, Nick Dazovich. We had him on a, a wee while ago. We always had uh, 
uh, Attila Sikelioglu on as well was it quite a character. What what were these guys like at, at St Johnston, Danny? Attila was great knowing when he came in. <clears throat> Big silky midfielder, loved to tackle. Um, it's Attila thought he was one of the fastest in the team, but he was probably about the second slowest. <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, Nick Dazovich was underrated Nick Dazovich was a very very good footballer in the middle of the park um, you could give him the ball he could take it pass it move it always give you an angle um, a very very silky midfielder um, but could also do the dirty work yeah. Um, so yeah playing as I say playing in a team with players like that made my job a little bit easier because it made you feel at ease yeah but I mean you've do, you done really well when you, when you come into the side Danny and uh, I was reading that uh, Back in the day, Derby came in for you. Was that, was that something? What was your thinking towards it? Did that get to you having <clears throat> back? And was it similar no, to Liverpool where you're thinking, I'm not going to get a game down there? No, I did. I weighed up all the options. I weighed up the pluses and minuses. Yeah. Um, they were making the bid on their chief scout watching me on one occasion. It wasn't even their manager. The manager was taking their word on their chief scout, which, don't get me wrong, it's great that they've got belief in you. Yeah. Um, but when I weighed up the pluses and the minuses, the minuses was out doing the pluses. And I thought with me still learning the game and trying to understand that I had the two best coaches at St. Johnson with Paul Sturck as a manager and John Blackley yeah. for to help me develop to become a better player. Yeah. And I just decided that time wasn't right. Of course, you mentioned there uh, playing for the, your country at 17. You, you made your debut for the, the senior side. Was it 18, 19 you made your debut for them? 18, just just before me, 18th birthday, I think, we played Germany. Germany had 96. Germany had just won the European Championship. <laughs> what, what, what was that? Um, That's a baptism of fire, that, is it not? It was great knowing that Bram, Bram Hamilton was the manager of the international side at the time. And I'd been involved in some of the squads. He had drafted me in, but never never played me, if you know what I mean. I was an unused sub. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, I received the notification through the club that I was involved in the squad straight after the season finished. It was the game against Germany, knowing that they'd just won the European Championships. They'd beaten England. Stefan Kuntz had scored a golden goal. Uh-huh. We knew what players they had. The Muller, the Klinsmann, Bierhoff, Hassler. Um, can and goal so they were coming and it was a chance for them to parade the trophy as well but we as Northern Ireland have always done they've always been the underdogs they'll always roll their sleeves up they will give 100% and we went out that day and just did that George O'Boyle scored the goal we went 1-0 up yeah. they missed two penalties um, and then they scored near the death knowing that it was one each um, so a great experience knowing that for the make my debut against the European champions at the time was great. Yeah, we'll touch on your international career a wee bit later on, but you mentioned George O'Boyle there. Um, spoke to some players that played with him at Dunfermline, and he says he was different class. What, how, how scary. good? Scary. George was scary. Yeah. Um, his touch, his movement, his ability to score, hold the ball up. Um, the only possible thing that you would say about George that he never had pace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, George as a striker. Like if I would say, for example, I was playing in the middle of a park and you were able to hit George's feet and run off him and move. Yeah. It was great. Um, always looked after your fellow international player and I was travelling a lot with him when we were in the teams together. Uh-huh. So yeah, it was always nice to have him in the team and knowing that he was always going to score you goals. Yeah. 
I mean, St. John's had a, a great spell that you promoted in, um, was it 96, 97, then finished fifth at the yep. following season in the, in the top flight. Uh, was that an enjoyable couple of years for you, Danny, playing playing the team? Derek, it was great. When things are going for you, it's always great. Yeah. When things are going against you, it's the it's the world's worst. You're, you're in a deep hole. You're wondering how you're going to get out. Yeah. But when the team's playing well and you're winning games, you're right on the quest of a wave, knowing that, yeah, we can do anything we can. And it was always one of the things that Paul Sturrock said when he first came as manager. It was if you give him five years, he would have us fighting for trophies and being high up the league. Yeah. The year he actually left to go to Dundee United and Sandy Clark come in, we'd already reached the League Cup final, who we could beat by Rangers 2-1. Yeah. We reached the quarterfinal of the Scottish Cup. That year, we reached third spot in the league. And that's when the European games came along against Monaco and Vasa and stuff. So yeah, if Paul Sturrock had that plan for five years and he was in his fifth year just as it was happening, it shows you what type of person he was known and what way he was building a team of possibly experienced plus young ones coming through for to gain the experience to prove themselves at a team like St. John's. Yeah. <clears throat> see, when you, see when you left, Danny, were you disappointed to see him go, uh, Paul, at the time? It was, because it came out of the blue. We always knew it was going to happen. Yeah. Because I think it was part of the deal that I either got him from Dundee United because he was like the reserve team manager at United. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we always knew it was going to come, but we didn't expect it to come so quick. Um, knowing that he was always going to be, he was always an Arab. Even when Mama played the youth team at Dundee United, he was always going to see the Dundee United youth team before he would come in and see our youth team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was a shock. And then, it came about when I had the opportunity to go and join him at Dundee United, which I did, yeah. knowing that they bought me for 600 grand, um, but it didn't help when he resigned two weeks later. Yeah. yeah. See, the, see when you touched, see when you mentioned the, the League Cup final, you, you weren't part of the were you Were you injured that, uh, for that game against Rangers? No, I just, I wasn't selected. I was sitting in the stand. Sandy wow. Clark left me out. Wow. Did he mean by that much? So you left out a few. It was a hard one to take. Yeah. Um, knowing how well you've played but then that's the thing of a new manager a new manager comes in and has his ideas and see what players he wants to use um, and I was the unfortunate one that I was sitting up in the big stand at Parkhead watching yeah it must, it must be disappointing to, as, a, as a player just not being on the park for a big occasion like that but you mentioned that you played in Europe uh, <coughs> season everyone remembers that the Monaco game uh, Danny, uh, of course, especially the game at McDermott Park was something else, a 3-3 three, three three, draw. Three. Yeah. Um, you came up against some cracking players that night, didn't you? Derek, it was, it was ridiculous. The game over there was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, great knowing there were, uh, the story, knowing that before with the draw actually happens, we know the draw is happening and we're all sitting in the players' lounge watching the TV and they're telling us that it's either going to be West Ham or Monaco. And everybody's like, well, we want Monaco. We don't really want West Ham, even though it's a Premier League team. Um, and luckily enough, it was Monaco. So then we get to we get to fly across and we land in Nice. And this, this is like the funny story of George and I being the Irish players that the bomb squad's called when all the luggage is coming round. And it, they're all looking at George and I. And it's nothing to do with us. It was just a nonsense a suspect package that was going round the carousel that was nobody's. Um, but yeah, great knowing you go and you play in the stadium, that Simeone up front with Trezeguet, who they just won the World Cup in that and stuff yeah. as well. 
wee boy Ludovic Julie that went to Barcelona. Last year. Marquez, who was at Barcelona as well. So the Mexican boy that's the most capped for them. Um, John Anarisa was at Monaco. Perzo was at Monaco. Yeah. Marquez was in goal. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was a, a great game for us. The wee boy up front for us, Miguel Samal, had three one-on-ones with Barquez and missed every one of them. Yeah. And then in the 70th minute, we just died a death and they scored three goals. Uh-huh. Um, but for to get them back at McDermott Park and to draw three each, was it was a great achievement for us because, as I say, it shows you Luggy had built a team that with a bit of experience and youth that we could go and we always wanted to test ourselves against the best and they were one of the best at the time. Mm-hmm. And for to get a 3-3 draw, don't get me wrong, they'd changed their team. They'd made a few changes. But for to get a 3-3 result against them at home was absolutely terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, up until about five years ago, we were the only team that they conceded three goals against in Europe. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, so it goes to show you the achievement that we had. Um, but yeah, it was a great experience knowing um, playing against a World Cup winner. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Then, see when you came up as well, Danny, against the, like, the likes of the old firm and all that sort of stuff, was, was there any player that, that usually gave you a hard, hard afternoon? Oh, Larson by far. Yeah. Larson was incredible. Um, playing at the back, knowing either he was playing with Sutton or Hartson, at times you think, right, I've got him, and you would blink, and he would be like the Invisible Man, he would be away. Yeah. Um, his movement, um, for the size of him, his timing in the air was incredible. Um, he was, he's up there with one of the best. Um, knowing yet, I played against him in Scotland, and it's a couple of years ago, we were in Dubai, and I had my family with me, and I seen Henrik Larson standing at the bottom of the escalator, and I said to my wee man, come on, we'll go and get a picture. And he's like, nah, I'm not going to get a picture. And I went, come on, it'll be the closest I've got to him in years. <laughs> um, knowing that you just, you could not get near him, Derek. He was absolutely frightening. And then it shows you that he moves to Man United. He goes to Barcelona um, and does exactly the exact same. Yeah. So yeah, he's he was incredible at the time. Yeah. Um, and one of the players I played with at Dundee United, Charlie Miller, was phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, the ability the boy had was scary. And you just had to give him a ball and he could take it anywhere. Yeah. Um, he always got you out of a, a sticky situation. Yeah. So you leave St. Johnson. You ready for the change, Danny, with Paul Sturrock being at United? Did it feel like the, the right, right time to move? It was the right time because with Sandy Clark coming in, I wasn't playing. Yeah. Um, the there was more of the situation where I was just, I wasn't going to sit in the stands and just rot away. Um, Paul Sturrock could phone me and ask would I make the trip down the road 20 minutes knowing the situation yet coming from St. Johnson to Dundee United it was one of your rivals at the time and he just wanted to touch base with me to see if I really wanted to do it but he knew the reasons why I was leaving. The St. Johnson fans knew the reason why I was leaving. Um, I wasn't leaving on a sour note. Yeah. In my eyes I was leaving on a positive note knowing that I'd give my all for St. Johnson when I signed at 15 um, and yeah I made the decision to move 20 minutes down the road to Dundee United um, and as I said earlier I went and got injured and within the first two weeks I think the second game of the season they played Hibs at Easter Road and Didi Agath banged in a hat trick and straight after the game Paul Sturrock resigned and I thought wow thanks um, so yeah, a, a great time at United, and it was just a shame that it never worked out as 
it should have. No, well, Loggy getting, well, Loggy resigning. <clears throat> um, a couple of managers coming in, like Paul Haggerty came in as interim manager, who was absolutely terrific. A lot of time for Haggerty, a great guy, great coach. Um, Alex Smith was appointed. Um, a lot of time for Alex Smith. He was great. Um, he understood everything, what every player was doing, how they were doing it. He was always asked how you were, if you were tired. Yep, right, we're going to do a little session today. And then when the club changed hands from Jim McLean to Eddie Thompson, that's when the club started to really change in my eyes. Yeah. Eddie Thompson coming in and, yep, splashing the cash, sacked Alex Smith, brought in Ian McCall. And it was a bit like the St. Johnson thing again. Ian McCall came in and didn't really see me as part of his team. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I had a great time at Dundee United. Yeah, plan-wise, fighting relegation. It was hard. As I said, you're in that times you're working really hard every day for try to get something out of the weekend and it doesn't happen. You're in that big hole. You're digging and digging and digging, knowing trying to get out, but you can't. Um, one of the years where we're actually Aberdeen were playing St. Mirren at Love Street and we were playing St. Johnson at McDermott Park. And if we had been beaten and St. Mirren had beaten Aberdeen, we were relegated. And at half time, St. Mirren are winning 1-0 and we are 2-0 down. And Alex Smith went absolutely mental. Parl Hartley gets sent off just at the start of the second half. Derek Lally banged in a hat trick. We went 3 2. And Aberdeen beat St. Mirren in the last kick of the ball 2 1. St. Mirren got relegated that day. We secured Premiership safety, went in the last game of the season against Aberdeen and beat them 5. And you're thinking that's what we worked for all year for to try to get results for that. But then it happened knowing that the last game of the season when there was no pressure on. Um, so yeah, fighting relegation was a wee bit for two and a bit years. It was tough going, but it physically and mentally it makes you stronger. I can imagine. See, see when you went and played your old club, Danny. Did what sort what sort of reception did you get? It wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't bad because, the, as I said, the fans underst- understood why I'd left. Yeah. Um, if it hadn't been for Sandy Clark, I'd have probably finished my whole career. It seems knowing that I probably wouldn't have moved. Um, but yeah, he just didn't see eye to eye with me. He didn't see me as being part of his plans. Um, one of the games that we actually went back to play the Matanic, or not Tanic, they said McDermott Park, we beat them 1 0. And I scored the winner. <laughs> um, it's one of these ones when you see the players come back to their old teams and like, do they score? Do they celebrate? Aye. I celebrated it, knowing that I had to. Yeah. Um, because as I say he just didn't I don't know if it wasn't it didn't make me as a player or he just didn't see me part of his plans but yeah I celebrated it knowing that we win 1-0 yeah. and then went and partied in the town centre afterwards <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good on you um, see, you, you mentioned Jim McLean earlier um, do you have any dealings with him when you're at United and what sort of, what sort of guy was he? It's Jim McLean was a lovely guy. Like you hear vicious rumours that he was a nasty guy in the way he treated people. And one of the stories, and I've always kept this in my head, and as much as I said earlier, working with the Saints Community Trust, I, I tell this to all the kids and also help within the Youth Academy at St. Johnson. I remember one day being in the gym on the cross trainer and he used to come in the gym on a Tuesday and a Thursday. And I was on the cross trainer one day and he asked me a question. What's the most important thing a footballer uses? And I felt embarrassed that I didn't know the answer, yeah. knowing that I played for a few years. And I hit him with everything. I hit him with my oh, head, right foot, your left foot, courage, <laughs> strong. And it's honestly, I was on the cross trainer for about an hour. And I went, you'll need to tell me. 
chairman, you need to tell me. And he says, your ears. I said, because if I'm your coach and I'm telling you to do something and you listen to me and you go and do it, you'll become a far better player. And I still I tell that to every team that I coach. If I'm coaching kids, I'm saying, right, guys, I need you to listen because if I get you to listen to me, you're going to be a far better player yeah. than you were before you started. Yeah. Um, so Jim, Jim McLean was a great guy. Um, he had his heart in the right place for Dundee United, knowing like all the years he was involved with the club. Hence why he's got the statue just outside Tannadice and that says quite rightly so, knowing that he was the guy that had it all for United against Barcelona and everything when they're going the European venture that they had. He was certainly a one-off, that's for sure. Um, the Dundee Derby, uh, Danny, what was that like? Fiery. <laughs> Fiery. Um, you always try to the first person or the first person in your team always the first 50-50 was always a big challenge. Um, sometimes playing went out the window. It yeah. was to see who was going to be the stronger ones in the tackle and making your mark on the game. Um, sometimes it went for you and sometimes it went against you. Um, but great games to play in. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, you, you suffered a few... Was it was it Dundee United you started suffering a few injuries? Is that right? You, Aye, uh, that's where it all started. Um, I burst two discs in my back. Yeah. Um, I was losing feeling down my left leg. Um, I was out for about two weeks with it and then all of a sudden come back training and it just happened again, the exact same thing. And then I jumped on a plane to fly to London to play for my country against Spain and they sent me back telling me I wasn't fit enough. Um, and then I ended up having an operation and I was out for nine months. Wow. Um, so it, it did start from there um, move from Dundee United to Stockport and within six months it's not my Achilles at Stockport um, so I've had my fair share of serious injuries yeah. um, knowing that as I said mentally and physically you can back stronger um, it was my wife one day said that, that came back to when I started my career the Challenge Cup final we could beat by Stranraer 1-0. I'm a 17-year-old boy and I scored the own goal and we could beat 1-0 in the cup final. Um, a lot of 17-year-olds could have buried their head in the sand and that could have been their career finished. I come back from it. Serious injuries I come back from. Managers that don't like you as a player, you come back from, you show them, you prove them wrong. And it was my wife said it one day that you've actually worn the T-shirt, you've been there, done it and worn it. Yeah. So it's things like that that... I've always said to any kid that's in a youth academy at St. Johnson, if they ever want to have a chat or they're struggling, come and speak to me. Because yeah. nine times out of ten, I've been there. Yeah. Um, I've just finished a course last week doing mental health awareness of mental health in the game with act professionals and professionals at the minute is hard hitting. Um, so yeah, knowing and understanding what people are going through. And if I can help in any way, I'm more than happy to sit and listen and give my views on what I went through as a kid. Yeah, spot on. Um, I was going to mention the Stockport uh, move, you say there, um, I had Lee Mayer on a wee while ago, he he, he, did, he, he, did, he didn't like it down there, but some of the players they had no. at that time you, when you were there, Danny, were, were incredible, like so Ashley Williams, um, Ricky Lambert. Well, yeah. it, it, was, it was scary to think that Lee moved down. There was me and a boy, Mark Robertson, who was came from Dundee when Dundee went in the administration, Australian boy. Yeah. Um, 
Lee did struggle to fit in a little bit. Um, when he played, the fans were on his case. He made the odd mistake, and you know what fans are like. As soon as you make one mistake, I'd say you're just that's you hounded. Um, we did with Ashley Williams, who came in, who I used to share a house with. Um, when I snapped my Achilles at Stockport, he was one of the kids who came in really raw. Sammy Mack brought him in. Um, big, strong, quick. Um, run through a brick wall for you, but it was like every game before the games, he would come to me and say, right, can you watch the game and then at half-time tell me what I'm doing wrong? Right. Help me and try to explain things to me. Yeah. Which I did. It was always that advice. And then when he got that big move to Everton, I felt like phoning him and telling him that he'd do me 10% of the thing because it was me that helped him. <laughs> Um, yeah, with Ricky Lambert, like Ricky Lambert for an R1, Sammy McElroy gets a sack and Chris Turner comes in, actually I feel Wednesday manager, yeah. and doesn't like Ricky Lambert. And Ricky Lambert moves on to like Rochdale and whatever, and then all of a sudden he's at Southampton, and yeah. next thing you know he's at Liverpool, and you think, <laughs> yeah, he deserves it because he's worked hard, he's a great player. Adam Lafondra as well, knew where the goal was, scored goals. Yeah, so there was... The team at that time, before Sammy Mack, it was Carlton Palmer's. And yeah. Stockport were dishing out silly cash. Like Julian Lescott's older brother, and that was there as well. No one playing in the middle of the park. And Sammy Mack had to try to ship some of them out because that's what the football club wanted. Uh-huh. And that's when the troubles actually started for Stockport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah certainly. And you come back up the road then, Danny, but, but was it Aberdeen? Was that the only club uh, on the table? There was a few. No, there was a few. But I think it was looking at it, um, knowing that you mentioned about injuries, everybody's head was like, is he going to be fit enough to play? Is he going to be able to do this? So they were always querying the injuries. Yeah. And I decided to take a six-month contract at Aberdeen. And I thought, well, if I can go and prove that everybody at Aberdeen what a player I am, knowing that I'm not going to be injured, yeah. hopefully that'll open everybody's eyes. And when I went, after a couple of games, they were talking about a two-year contract. Yeah. And then three or four weeks after that, that was it. The contract was taken off the table, even though I played all the games. They qualified for Europe. Um, and then I ended up, after that, I think it was, in the Dundee when Alec Gray went in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a wee bit strange with the Aberdeen situation, but it, I'll never change as a player. No matter where I was, I always give me off for the team I was playing for. Yeah, and I think it did that at Aberdeen, but just unfortunately they decided to take the two-year contract. I don't know if they were looking at it as a, a stopgap because they had a few injuries yeah. at the time. That knowing that the players were going to be back fit after the six months, um, but yeah, it's one of these things. That's football. Yeah, Jimmy Calder of course was there. What what was he? He like? was. Um, he was great when you're in your starting in a starting eleven. <laughs> if you weren't in a starting eleven. It was you would you could be the invisible man, yeah. um, but then that was always the push that I think he, that he wanted that you had to prove that you were ready to get in a starting eleven. Yeah, and you had to work twice as hard to get in a starting eleven. So when you're in a starting eleven, it was great. Yeah. Uh, but the first game I had for Aberdeen was against Dundee United in the Scottish Cup of Tannadice, uh-huh. and I know he did the sexy thing at Dunfermline when he was a manager, where he just completely changed the formation to a two-four-four. Yeah. with the two centre-halves and the four midfielders and four strikers. We were 2-0 down at half-time against United. And he came in, he went, you're off, you're off, you're off. Right, you two at the back, you four there, you four. And I'm looking at myself going, where am I playing? Yeah, you're in the middle of the park. Your wee boy Fernandez, it was at Livingston. I want you to follow him, kick him, don't let him get the ball. And we went on to win 3-2 in my first game. 
Um, and that was like my first experience of him going like tactics. You're off, you're off, you're off. We're going to two, four, four. And I'm like, what? Um, but yeah, it, it was a great time at Aberdeen. Yeah, a lot of people up there that was looking after you and doing things the right way. The fans back you to help knowing if you run through that brick wall for their club, they will support you every which way they can. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good so good times at Aberdeen. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And so, so you moved to Dundee. Was there a bit of trepidation and did you get any stick? Being a Not really. There was the odd one. Don't get me wrong. There was the odd one knowing that you had played St. Johnson and then you were at United and then you go to Dundee. Yeah. But as I say, they knew what type of player I was. Yeah, I was hard in the tackle. I put my head in where it hurts. I could also play. So they were looking at it. Well, if we've got a player like that in the team, yeah, we are happy. Yeah. Yeah. Then, but the, the injuries catching up. You you spent a, a short time there, and then was it Ross Kelly? Yeah, I spent the sort. Of, yeah, it was Alec Ray again. Just didn't see eye to eye. Um, okay. He had different ideas to what plan wise than I had. Um, I wasn't the only player that that situation happened to. I think there was about five or six that seen the bigger picture of what he was trying wasn't in the way that the players were seeing it. Yeah. And after that, I went up to Ross County, as you said. Um, and then within 20 minutes of signing for Ross County, I snapped my other Achilles. Um, so, yeah, it's, that was, they looked, they were great. As a football club, they were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, knowing that situation within 20 minutes, you're going to be out for nine months. You just signed a one-year contract. Um, they looked after me they put me in a hotel they had me up every home game had me in away games they made me part of the team and that's like the mental health side of things knowing that serious injury they really went all out knowing for to keep me involved um, knowing that I felt part of the club after the situation that just happened yeah. See, mentally then, Danny, for being out for that length of time, is that is that difficult to deal with? I mean, physical, it's, it's tough, but the mental side it, of not it being is. involved in the training? It is. Um, but as I said the other day in the course, it's the team that you have at the football club behind you yeah. to help you. It's your family and friends. Yeah, you have your down, bad days. But it's it's your family coming in and like, come on, we're going to go out for the day. We're going to go out for a bit of lunch. You're, you're with the football club, right? keeping you engaged the managers used to come to me and go right I want you to keep an eye on this guy I want to see how many crosses he's in take note of it you're analysing the games for the manager he's keeping you involved he's asking you for a wee bit of feedback things like that keeps you knowing that you're itching to give back it's like you're sitting in the stand don't get me wrong and you're kicking every ball Um, but it just gives you that wee added incentive that I'm going to come back bigger and stronger and I know what he's looking for yeah so, yeah, that way it was always my family, friends, and the, the football club with a serious injury happened that they really supported you and gave you everything that you needed. Yeah. From there, of course, you'd have a, a good couple of years. You, you went to Livingston and won the league, the, the third division, and our both won the third yes. division as well. Yeah, I won, it, I won it twice in the bounce. Yeah. Wow. It was great. Yeah. Um, Because Livingston was, Livingston was great knowing. It was Paul Haggerty taking me to Livingston. Yeah. And he, I knew him as a coach, I knew him as a manager, he knew me as a player. Um, he gave me the chance to get back in because Ross County was never going to happen. Yeah. Um, and we went in and then Haggy got the sack. We went into the administration when it was the Italian chairman. Yeah. That they were relegated to third division. Um, Gary Bowling came in because it was the big boy Welsh's father-in-law, ex-Cowden Beef. 
his father-in-law came in and taken over the club and they changed things. They were supporting, they were giving him a bit of cash to spend for to bring players that were still full-time in the third division. Um, and we walked the league, yeah. knowing that we were full-time. He had quality players there. And then after it, he came to me and he says, unfortunately, no one moving up the league, no one that was getting older, that there was going to be no other contracts. And then at the time, it was Paul Sheeran was the manager at Arbroath. And he phoned me out of the blue and says, do you, would you mind playing part-time? I can give you this, I can do that for you. It's training at McDermott Park, which is five minutes from my house. Yeah. And I thought, I can give it a go, knowing. And then when I made that decision to go part-time, it gave me an opportunity to go back to college. Yeah. Um, to get qualifications for to hopefully help me when I retire to get a job. Um, so it fitted in great, knowing I was able to go to college, I was able to train nights a week, have the games at the weekend. Um, I was able to spend time with my family, knowing that I hadn't done that for years because professional football, it runs your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, and for to go and win the first trophy in Arbroath's history yeah. at the time of getting promoted was absolutely fantastic. And then when I was leaving Arbroath, one of the directors was like, what club are you going to next? Because we're putting money on you winning the third division. And I went, I'm retiring. <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd known with possibly a few months before Arbroath won the league that I was going to retire. Um my legs were given up, my head wasn't, my heart wasn't, but I just knew with injuries that I had, my body was starting to tell me yeah. that enough's enough. Yeah. And course. I made that big decision. Yeah. Yeah, you just came up with the real, realisation. Of course, I brought you a couple of your old uh, Saints buddies there. Was Mark McCulloch and uh, Kieran McInespy were there, weren't they? Mark, yeah, yeah. It was, knowing that Stuart Malcolm as well, so... Yeah. And I think that's why the team played so well, knowing that we all had an understanding. We all knew each other. Yeah. And then with Paul Sheeran putting his own wee twist on things, yeah, it was great knowing that the team went and won that third division again, which was absolutely... what. That was always a good way for me, knowing that I'd won it the year before with Livingston, and then the year I retired, I won it with Arbroath. So I went out on a high run in the third division twice in the bounce. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, touching your, your international career, Danny, we, we mentioned, of course, your debut. That's a cracking shot above you, the, the, the Italian one. You, that was, yeah. uh, I was reading somewhere, were you playing against Del Piero or not? Is that Del Piero shot you've got there? It says. Wow. That says in the wall. Wow. Um, it's, it's, Derek, it's crazy knowing that making my debut against Germany. I've got Stefan Kunz's strip on my, my son's wall, which is through next door. Um, it's when you when we go, we're playing Italy. Italy's a friendly match and we're playing them in Sicily. Yeah. Um, and it's growing up as a kid, the only thing we could watch on the telly was either match of the day or the, the, the Italian league yeah. on Channel 4. Yeah. And we walk out in this stadium in Sicily and you've got 50,000 Italian fans booing you and the big flares in that start and you're going, wow, this is mental. Uh-huh. And we're standing having a chat with all the players and all of a sudden the Italians walk out, all my money suits, suited and booted, <laughs> and the place erupts again. And you go, I wish that was for us. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it goes quiet again and then it, all of a sudden it just goes even twice as loud. Yeah. And it's Revanelli. Revanelli walks out himself, and this place goes absolutely bonkers. Yeah. The biggest cheer I've ever heard, and even like when Celtic do the huddle, this was yeah. out doing that big time. Um, and we went on to play them, 
in the first half it was Zola and Casaragi up front, and then the second half it was Del Piero and Revanelli. <laughs> um, they beat us two 0 um, and hence why Del Piero strips on the wall. Yes, that's absolutely fantastic. And I seen your goal as well. Your goal for Northern Ireland against the Republic. What a beauty that's that a was! It's <laughs> a fluke, Derek. <laughs> I'm, I'm going in for the tackle. I'm expecting the fifty-fifty challenge. So we are. Um, and yet again, that's a funny story as well. I wasn't even in the squad to start with. Wow. Lloyd McMenamin was the manager in Northern Ireland and I'd been in a few squads up to them. And I wasn't involved in this one and I'd already arranged the holidays with the wife. Yeah. And three days before the game, I got a phone call to my mobile saying, a couple of injuries, do you mind coming across to Dublin? And, and I says, yeah, it's my country. If my country needs me, I'm always willing. Yeah. So me and the wife were able to change the the holiday, and I flew across to Dublin. I sat in the bench, and then it came to the stage. Neil Lennon was coming off, and the left back was coming off. Kevin Harlock, yeah. and he called me and the boy Arnon Hughes that played Aston Villa, Fulham, Hearts. Um, and he says, "Right, who wants to go at left back, and who wants to go at centre mid?" And I went, "I'm going to centre mid." So it left Arnon Hughes to go in at left back. Yeah. And the rest is just knowing you've seen it. I've got to make the 50-50 challenge slide in. Luckily enough, I catch it great and it seals over Shea Given's head and we beat them 1-0. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was something else. And see, you mentioned Neil Lennon there. We had uh, Anton Rogan on a wee while ago, Danny, and uh, he said he got a lot of stick wanted to play yes. with Ireland because he'd been a Catholic and playing for Celtic and that. Did you, did you, did you encounter any of that at all? No, not whatsoever. Um, I'm just going to stick a light on Derek if you give me two seconds. Yeah, yeah no worries. Um, knowing that moving about the house here. <laughs> ah, there we go. That's a bit better. Quality. Um, knowing that it's, I never got it known. Like I was at Rangers as a kid from the age of twelve. Yeah. Alistair Stevenson was there as the one of the head of youth. Um, and it, it never, as I said, I played for a Protestant team in the Shanker Road, so it never bothered me whatsoever. Yeah. Some people knew I was a Catholic, some people thought I was a Protestant. It, yeah, people shouted at you when you were playing games, but it just went in money and out the other. Yeah. Um, we've played a few pre-season games when I was at St. Johnson against Linfield over at Windsor Park uh-huh. um, and playing with other players in the team that were Catholics. They got booed. Yeah. I didn't because I was playing for Northern Ireland. They seen me as one of their theirs. Yeah. yeah, don't get me wrong. Lenny Lenny got a bit of stick because it was Celtic, but should he have? Don't think so. It's he's one of our better players that we had for our country. He'd give us all for the country. Um, and it was a shame that I was I was there that night when they booed him. Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't nice. It's hard to take knowing that it's one of your teammates. It's getting booed and he has to come off the pitch for it. Yeah. I remember having an argument with two guys sitting at a bar one night with it and they were saying that you shouldn't be playing for Northern Ireland. I tried to put it in terms of what, what their job was. Yeah. And the two of them were builders, two brickies. And I says, well, like here, for example, you've got G.S. Brown at St. Johnston and you've got Stevens, another builder. Yeah. Two brickies working for either or, but one of them is getting offered more money to go to Stevens or one money to go to G.S. Brown. What would you do? Oh, I'd leave, I'd go more money. And I says, well, what's Neil Lennon doing? Yeah. yeah, he's moving to Celtic, but he's probably going for more money. He's looking after himself. He's maybe got a family to look after. Yeah. And when you actually put it in that terms, some people will understand it. 
some people won't. But these two guys understood it and went, yeah, now that you've done that, yeah. Because yeah. all he's trying to do is make Northern Ireland a better team. Yeah. But if you've got some fans that don't see that because he's playing for Celtic, yeah. I just I don't I just don't get it. I don't get it either. It's, it's a nonsense, really. Um, see Northern Ireland just now, Danny. What, what do you make of them um, under Ian Barraclough? Um, to tell you the truth, I thought it was a strange appointment. Yeah. With Ian Barraclough coming in, like I know that Ian Barraclough had a wee spell at Mullerwell and it never worked. Um, I honestly didn't know he was the under twenty one manager when Michael O'Neill was a manager. I don't know if Michael O'Neill has brought him in, and he's seen a different side of him working with like the younger ones. Yeah. Um, but since he's went in, I think the team has been absolutely fantastic. They're starting to build again from a young age all the way through. Uh-huh. Um, I think I've seen the, the stats the other day. I think they're ranked at 47th in the world again. Yeah. They've probably dropped a little. Um, but yeah, they're going in the right direction, which is absolutely terrific. Yeah. And you touched on Stephen Davis at, at, just earlier on. I mean, he's... He's a freak of nature, isn't he? How he's still, he's still going and still bossing games at that what, age. What a player. Yeah. Um, I was in his first, I was in the squad when he was first acknowledged in under Laurie Sanchez and Azerbaijan. Him and Chris Brunt, the two of them were brought in as two kids. Um, and when you actually see him now, where he's, where he's been and what he's gone through for to be the player he is and still doing at a high level is absolutely terrific. Um, he looks after himself really well. Um, Rangers are probably getting the best out of him again knowing that yeah, he had disappeared from Rangers to Southampton yeah. playing in the Premiership down south at, at a point I think Man United were looking at him when he was a lot younger under Ferguson mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think that the way Steve Davis is there's a lot of youngsters who could look up to him and think I want to be like him yeah yeah, no doubt about it and uh, your old club, St. Johnston, as well. What a season that was um, last season, winning the two cups under your old teammate, Callum Davidson. What what have you made of them in the recent years? Eric, it's sitting watching them, knowing, yeah, within the pandemic last year, knowing we were all in lockdown, we were luckily enough that you can pay per view, you can still see the games. Doing the odd commentary for the Saints TV, for the overseas pundits that... It, it was a privilege to get that opportunity for to go in and watch the live game and comment on it, commentate on it, sorry. Um, yeah, for Callum to come in in his first year, struggling last Christmas, second bottom of the league, fans shouting for his head because it wasn't working. Callum sticking by his game plan, the way he wanted to play, getting the team to play. And for the finish, fifth in the league, win the League Cup, and then go and make history by winning the Scottish Cup and doing a cup double is absolutely phenomenal. Um, a young team with a bit of experience through it, yet again, and that Callum has a good backroom staff with himself as well. Um, so, yeah, absolutely phenomenal season. Um, the European games that we've just been through, watching Galatasaray and whatever at McDermott Park, 10,000 fans, home fans, mind you, no away fans, yeah. are filling McDermott Park. It was lovely to see again, knowing that the fans have come out and supported them. Their season ticket sales have been boosted with people wanting to come back and watch them. Um, and then there, winning their first game against Aberdeen and Saturday was absolutely f- terrific, knowing that it gets that wee bit of a monkey off your back because they were struggling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's what, what, the, what they achieved last year was incredible. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, of course, it's still a club close to your heart, Danny. You're, you're working with the uh, Saints Community Trust, of course, as well. So, what sort of what what do you do with them? It's 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 everything, Derek. Um, I had the opportunity when I retired that the job opportunity come up um, for the Glen with the Saints Community Trust. It's working with kids at all ages, playing football from eighteen months up to walking footballers in early eighties. Um, school projects of going into schools and teaching kids about racism and trying to change their their mind of high. In fact, a few years, high people were brought up to, to see people and don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Um, but I think that the best project we run is an OAP group with dementia. It's called Football Memories. Um, we Before the pandemic, we used to invite them into the park, into the restaurant. We would have them down. It's a deck of cards of old Scottish international players that's probably ranging from late 60s to late 70s um, and the pick a team there's the team is always in the old style of like the five at the back the three in the middle and so on the two strikers um, that there's five players for every position so we try to split them into two groups and the team changes every single week and on the cards it's like as I said earlier Kenny Dalglish yeah you've got this picture of Kenny Dalglish and his Heidi maybe playing at Celtic and you're showing them the picture just trying to trigger that wee memory of who it is but you're also giving them the clue of he's known as the king he moved on to Liverpool yeah. um, and you get this odd one that was Kenny Dalglish um, yeah, and we always try to pick that team so that that's by far the best project we run as a community trust knowing that high hard hitting it is um, and the reason why I say that for, we were up for an award with this project with the NHS. Yeah. And we always ask parents or their wives or carers to give us a bit of feedback. And we didn't know this, that one of the wives had actually handed or sent the feedback to the NHS. And when they were actually reading out the, the projects and the people that was running it, they actually said, we would like to say this, that we've had this feedback regarding the Saints Community Trust from someone's wife um, that she drops a stranger off but she gets her husband back straight after it and it could be that two minutes of having her husband that that's how hard hitting it is yeah yeah, yeah so yeah that's that's a great thing knowing that that's what you're actually trying to help in people's lives yeah oh, you're certainly making a difference it's great what you guys are doing so um, wish you all the best uh, going forward with it, Danny. It's, uh, that'll do us there. It's been absolutely great having you on, so thank you very much. No, for, thanks for having you know, me. Top man. Thanks for hey. having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you soon. That was episode 115 of the Talking Football podcast with Danny Griffin. As ever, I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can listen to any previous episodes on pretty much all podcast platforms and also on our YouTube channel. Just search for Talking Football. Be also sure to check out and subscribe to the Talking Football website, talkingfootball.co.uk. You'll find a whole lot of great content on there. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at Talking underscore Football and we're on Facebook as well. I hope you can join me again next time. But until then, keep safe and bye for now.